Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malkin. Today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as Simon Band, TV podcaster heard and seen on at TV underscore rev. Also randomly reviewing food on tediousfoodblog.com. Profile pick by at Heath C. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Simon Band. Hello, Monk. Simon, hello. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? I'm a weird person, and maybe it's because I did a bit of radio. Mm. When you introduce anyone who's even spent 10 seconds on the radio, you introduce them by their full name. Like, you don't say, oh, this is Spencer. You say, no, this is Spencer Housen. Mm. And when people introduce me uh, in social settings, they go, this is Simon Band. So it's this weird thing where I just get the full, like, there's no nickname, there's no, oh, this is Simon. It's the full name gets used. Uh, and I don't know why that is, but and people will even go, oh, hello, Simon Band. Like, they use <laughs> the full name. There's no abbreviation. There's no pet name. It is just... Here's your full name. Like, they're almost getting to, like, add the date of birth on the end. It's that form. <laughs> yes. Have you had uh, nicknames of late? Other than Simon Band? I've, I don't think I've ever had a legit nickname. Ever. I've oh. just been Simon at the shortest, and then Simon Band. Like, just the general. No one's even gone the bandy route. Oh, I think once someone in high school called me Simone Bandicoot, because that's what people find funny in in God. high school. But that's not even a that's, that's not even yeah. That's actually an elongation. Yes. That's not even uh, what you would do. And I know that we have a propensity in the the Australian version of the English language to do that to say that out of terms of you know endearment we're going to elongate rather than shorten your name. Bandy Bando. Yeah. Bandicoot. It's it's just a four-letter last name. You can't. You it, can't. In an Australian context, your nickname would quickly become something like Possum, though. Yeah. Because like, by association, Bandy, Bandicoot, Possum. Well, because yours is a shortening, isn't it? Yes, you're, you're mul- kind of short for Yeah, your your. I would say pen name, but you're holding a microphone, not a pen. Your you know your performer name is uh yes. is shortened. See, Stone if I shorten mine, I'd be like Sibba. Like you just can't go much shorter. Like I'm already. You could have your own pairing name. Like your own, you have a celebrity couple. Oh, I could be a Brangelina. Yeah. Actually, um, yeah, because I would be like Smamey with my wife. Yeah. Smamey. Smamey? Because she's got a short name as well. Y- yes. Yeah. And she has to be the second part. Yeah we're, yeah. we're getting into the words. Simon, this is the first time I've ever done this, but my interest has peaked. Just before we started having this conversation, you charged me. <laughs> with something that I have absolutely no recollection of. See, this is going back a few years because, like, I, I'm not saying I'm famous, but I've been, uh, I've <laughs> You're been Brisbane famous. I am Brisbane famous. Um, you know, a little bit of radio, a little bit of basically panhandling in the streets. Like, you know, it's, you know, people people occasionally know who I am. Very occasionally, mm. um, mostly mums on the school run actually, because they recognise me from like local radio on the nice. ABC. Like that, that's something they do. Um, yeah, so I've well, been doing this for about 11 years, but six years ago, is this is this the thing where I was charging you? Should, um, uh, are we going to do this? Let's dive because um, I'm, I'm either ready to apologise profusely or n- laugh my head off. 
Yeah, because I'm trying to remember when this is exactly. Yeah, it's about six, maybe maybe seven years ago. It'd mm. be six and a half, seven years ago. It'd be about the time you remember when I broke my arm, pretty catastrophic. I remember that you had done. Yeah, this. yeah, and I was spending like nine months relearning to use the hand. But at that time, yeah. uh, had bit of plastic surgery as well lost half a meter of skin just came off a push bike wasn't even anything big that's right yeah now. um and uh i had a, a son who was like two at the time which was great because i couldn't do up my own pants um like you go i could i could go to the toilet and then like the two-year-old had to do the zip up for me because sure. i was the one-armed dad uh at that time i was occasionally being called by uh today fm Mm. Uh, to do little uh, pop culture bits. When I say this is like a job, it wasn't really a job. It's like a little bit of money, but yep. I was, was I was, I was struggling in like the third year of my oh, one sorry. year uh, honors no. program at this point, and I'd occasionally get slipped a little bit of cash for doing this. Now, I was in serious pain, so I'd take um, Panadine, but I'm a bit drug resistant, so I'd sometimes slosh that down with a bit of wine just to make the painkillers work. <laughs> 15 minutes after that happened, they would always call me saying, hey, can we do something over the phone for tonight? And so the first 10 minutes would be great. And then the next 10 minutes would be perfect. So these were for uh, Today FM for when they were doing like a celebrity buzz section. And so I've you, you can probably tell from my voice yeah. and my back catalogue, my style is not pop news. <laughs> my style is, well, you know, what does uh, Foucault and kind of sites of power tell us about how this show operates in a, in a this? Or, or what, what kind of Marxist ideology can we use to describe how... Uh, Desperate Housewives work, something mm. like that. So it was total fish out of water. One of them as well that was doing the Master uh, MasterChef replating scandal sure. uh, when that first hit. And I just said, well, what's the point? Because MasterChef is just uh, food porn for food wankers to masturbate to. And then I just started making a wanking noise. I was a little bit hot. <laughs> <clears throat> But they loved it. They liked it, and it was really good. And so these segments would go out, and they played... I'm trying to get my timeline right here. I think one of them, I was squished between a Kesha track, when she still had the dollar sign, and a Justin Bieber track. Now, again, why I was doing this, I don't know. Now, see, so my taking pink elms and doing this, this was a known thing. And you went on Twitter with the Mm. producer, because you were trying to make a name for yourself. You didn't mean this maliciously at all. Sure. But you said jokingly, because I was taking painkillers and I was like having fizzy on my arm and stuff, Mm. you said, oh, you shouldn't use Simon Band. You should use me. He's a drug addict. Oh, you serious? And you said it as a total joke. Oh, good, yes. Yeah, Yeah, and uh, there's no ill will. I I, I love telling the story about you. (laughs) All God. the time. So now this I is even worse. no, no. Yeah. But you said it totally jokingly. And the thing is, though, they never called me ever again. <gasps> no, that's the thing. So, like at the time, I, you know what, Mulk, To be entirely honest, Silent. I'm probably forty-five dollars out. <laughs> that's the only difference. Like in the seven years since, I'm forty-five dollars worse off. And when you've hosted the Mulkies, I've drank more piss <laughs> at those ten times that dollar value. Uh, and in just like two mulkies, three mulkies, I drank. I've drunk about four hundred dollars worth of booze at every single event you've run. So in the long run, I'm further ahead. But it was totally innocent joke. Yeah. But it just went, just stopped. Oh. Um, but in fairness, like, what kind of career would I be getting out of doing ninety second spots, late night Today FM? 
it was it was not a thing. It was definitely not a thing. Yeah, though, actually, I can uh, that would be six and a half years ago because I still live in that same house. So that's my timeline on that. Gosh. So yeah, you once you once lost me a job that paid less than a paper route. <laughs> Simon, there is so much in that story. Yeah, no, but people love that story when I tell it to them. I'm surprised you've not heard that story Well, that's one of the things that there's so much of in, that you're telling the story. I feel so bad about this. No, but you shouldn't feel bad. And also, when you, like, put out, what, you do, what, 60,000 tweets a year? Uh Like, minimum. Uh, You know, let's just say, like, no matter how careful you're going to be, there's going to be something in one of them. I'm glad that you... see it because it was I'm sure I don't remember yeah. the tweet but it would have been totally it was a, a joke. total joke but this is why you probably need like hashtag JK and <laughs> uh, these tweets um, hashtag JKS yeah but I should have been I should have been studying I should have been doing all these other things so you like that that came up but uh, yeah no that's that's one I uh, yeah people wow. love that one if anybody says oh bloody Steve Malk I go well I've got a Steve Malk story for you <laughs> and uh, yeah it's not bad uh, I guess my only other look cause you know, I guess my other grievance with you and it's yes. only one grievance like we have taste this is our Marin CK moment yes. it is uh, is the uh, first time I ever spoke at a Malkies uh, you put me after the comedian and I, I tried did. to do a funny bit and actually I think you did that the second year as well as well I did it twice where I said a little thing I, I, I should not get in front of crowds of people. It was a teaching moment for me, actually. <laughs> Probably don't stick to the jokes. Uh, do something else. Um, uh, you put me on after the comedian twice. I remember is, yeah. that first Malkies of vividly. Was that? that was Mel I think Buddle. Mel Buddle. Yeah, it was after Mel. And Mel uh, Buddle killed it. Slade for Absolutely. what would be a shit house gig. Yeah. She really brought it together. Yeah, um, brought her a game, and people loved her. Because it set the tone for the night as well. Because I, yeah. I actually remember those jokes because she's talking about when she was in um, commercial radio mm. for a period. And so... The it's, stuff she did. As, yeah, yeah, the stuff she did and the way the workplace worked. And it would be identical to the workplaces of those people in the TV industry mm. that were there. But because it's that nth degree kind of different, because it's in radio, not TV, it gave them permission to laugh yeah, at themselves. Yeah, them not us. And I think that just worked absolutely perfectly and uh yeah i that was a great mulkies oh so fun and i, I remember also you remember however that. your um your unloading on the television industry it was so great someone cried really someone actually cried uh we'll talk about this off thing i don't know if the sure. person's still at, at channel nine but uh you know i'm i'm, I'm Talking sure. about the person, just a thing, and we have friends in common, and they really liked the channel they were working for, and were they were a lifer. They were like, yeah. Like, you know when you work at a job, you yeah, just yeah. believe that job is the best. Yes. Like, you know, there's people who just are totally signed up with the, the ideology of their of their corporation, and was actually crying at criticisms of Channel oh, 9 on the night. And then, uh, I think I missed one, and then the next year, I got heckled by one of the MDs of Channel 7 during me talking as well. <laughs> look look at the salubrious crowd that we drew. No, because I think I said something like, we all love television, we're all here, you know, fewer people are watching TV than, you know, ever, ever before. before. And they yelled out, no, they're not, people are watching more than ever before. And then somebody else heckled them from across the room. And I think it might have been my uh, curmudgeon compatriot and co-host on Televised Revolution, Dan. Yes. Where I think he actually yelled, yeah, effing what? To their heckle. <laughs> so the heckler got heckled. And um, yeah, that was, yeah, again. Oh, uh, God, Simon. Yeah. yeah. This, oh, man. But uh, that's the thing, but the, if you and I, like, we have very different 
perspective, we actually do yes. a very similar thing. And I remember when you first started like talking about TV mm. and Twitter, it was when Twitter started becoming a thing. And I mm. think one of you like, you know, you were just starting out and doing things. You came on when Televised Revolution was a radio show, I think, on yes. Triple Z. You came along and you did uh, a live call of the, uh, the Logies. You always which, helping out cover stuff that you guys yeah. were trying to keep it on top yeah, of. Yeah, and the, <laughs> let's just say we don't do the Logies no. live call anymore because... Um, it's a nightmare. Yeah, and it's not just you. No, no, it is actually a nightmare because there's not even enough content in the Logies <laughs> to run the Logies for that long. No. So to try and do coverage of that, and it has long ad breaks... And um, one year, I think you were there as well, and it was getting really late. This was the one I think we did at Dan's house. We did a live stream. Yeah. And everybody was on the live stream, but Dan had pet rats. And for whatever yes. reason it was, I was allergic to them. So I t- started taking antihistamines. Now, okay, I don't drink. I don't do anything. All of these stories somehow imagine <laughs> me getting high on drugs. Though. <laughs> I start taking um, an antihistamine that I had. Uh, to try and do that, but it was like peritin. It's one that you can't actually buy in this country. I think I'd brought it over mm. from the UK. I think they only give it to cats in this country. And so as the night progressed, I get more and more loopy Gosh. until like five hours into what should be a three-hour show, but it ended up going for seven. I just go, I have to go and just staggered off into the <laughs> night not to be heard for a day. Um, yeah, I remember that was you there, yeah. But so we've had these, like, we have very different approaches. I think I'm only done a few years longer than you, but you've done a lot more kind of on the, the commenting on TV. You're, you're all over the place. You have actual followers on Twitter. Uh, and we have totally different philosophies on it. Like, mm. you know, I'm a grump and I don't trust anything <laughs> that a TV network says yes. because you look at one of those press releases of four different networks sent you a press release saying, we won the night for the same oh, night. And you're like, yeah. guys, guys, you do this every week. We're not, nah. Yeah. Where you, you're um, more eager to please. You, you know, and you have like the press release and promotion as part of your culture. And that's done very well for you. You've got a symbiotic relationship with the industry in some ways. I have more of an antagonistic one. And so I kind of go, oh, Mock does this. But then five years ago, Brisbane floods happened. Mm. And I was trapped with my young family. And the person who offered their house and electricity and internet uh, was you. Mm. You actually just said, I will totally do this. We had just been just too late because the road between us had totally gone underwater. So I was in the the inner west of Brisbane. Yeah. So I couldn't get out. There's five ways out of my suburb. All were underwater. Oh, so I was cut off for five days. Uh, we're making babies formula in like a camping stove in the kitchen. Didn't have electricity for nine. But I've always remembered the really sincere offer for help that you'd put out there. Like, you know... We will sometimes disagree about things, and I'll snipe your grammar regularly on Twitter. <laughs> Deservedly so. Yeah, if I'm not sniping your grammar, it's not it's it's not that you're getting better. It's just I'm doing something that day. Um, uh, yeah, but I always remember that actually. So like, even though we've you know done very different things, and you lost me that job, um, <clears throat> I actually have like a really you know I've uh, yeah, big ups to you because you actually said. I will do this. I will come get you. What do you need? But it was it was just that little bit too late where the water had risen. So, Luckily, I live in a high-rise on top of a hill, so like Mount Cutha would have to go underwater before I went underwater. <laughs> yes. But I just couldn't go anywhere. No, that's just, right. The bits of trapped. the road were done. Yeah, like Coronation Drive was under, the Western Freeway was under, Mogul Road was under. There was no getting out. So me and my local park, 
perfect. And Mac has stayed open the whole time. What's that about? God bless them. Yeah. That's just good marketing. Isn't it amazing that Maccas can actually deploy human services and disaster relief better than Centrelink can? <laughs> I can only... Man, there's so much about... The, the floods were a real critical moment for Brisbane, mm. certainly for, for people of our generation, because we'd only ever heard about the 74 flood. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I'd, I hadn't even heard of the 74 flood because I was flown here, not grown here. So I didn't true. come to this country until the uh, very end of November 1995. Um, mm. So, and my parents, you know, from the UK, and they come here and were like, you know, uh, we, we like sort of amalgamated in the community, but people weren't going, oh, do you remember the floods in the 70s? Like, it had just never come up. Yeah. And then it's just like, oh, Brisbane's going underwater. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? What do you mean Brisbane's going underwater? So, yeah, that was, it was a big deal, wasn't it? And then the response afterwards, the flood army. Yeah. And, yeah. and so much about it too, because, uh, well, let's be fair, obviously very different times, 74, Brisbane, was nowhere near the size that it is. And everything was made of wood. Uh, yeah. So if your house flooded, it floated. Pretty like much. That was, you just yeah. had to go, hang on, my house was in West End. Oh, no, no, now it's in Hamilton. Okay. Um, but also the, the the means of communication and the sense of community where people maybe had lamented prior to um, the floods that we're talking about, mm. the 2011 floods, that, oh, you know, everyone's become so selfish and all the rest of it. It really um, steeled the city because mm. everybody was in together. It affected a lot of people, um, either directly, yeah. they, were, they were cut off, or indirectly, they couldn't get to work, or all sorts of things. Well, it was amazing because people panic-bought petrol yeah. before that flood, and then all the petrol stations went underwater for the petrol was gone. So even when I could get out, I actually couldn't get petrol to get out of the city and go see people. So now to this day, I have a jerry can in the garage yep. with the exact amount to, in an emergency, get to my dad's house, which is in a different catchment area. Yep. So if he floods, he can come to me. If I flood, you know, I can go to him. Um, but I was actually like stuck even when the waters went down. And a friend of mine actually came down from the Gold Coast with a big like 30-litre jerry can and filled up my car wow. on their way to come down and help. And I'm like, wow, that's really good because I couldn't... Yeah. I couldn't... Because I, could, I try to be a hero after <laughs> that. Like, I'm like, I'm going to do all these things. And um, I actually used like the last whiff of petrol to drive drinks around to flood army work sites yep. on like the fourth day of that um, because I'd gotten really sick and I hadn't realised... I'd gotten sick because I went, oh, I'm going to do the flood army, I'm going to do this. And I picked up a really bad, like, uh, amoebic infection from, mm. like, the sewage-filled floodwaters. Yep. And <laughs> I just became a wreck. That yep. was a thing. Like, I'm just like, I'm going to be a hero, driving around in my car <laughs> without petrol in it, handing out drinks, massive temperature, hallucinating. Like, it was like, um, uh, what's the thing? Fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Yes. But basically, the largest unqualified removal of asbestos that has ever occurred in <laughs> Australia. Do you know how much asbestos there was? Like, <clears throat> the streets were asbestos. Yeah. Apparently, it's, uh, yeah, it's the only thing that can survive floods. Like, it's yeah, it was just asbestos as far as the eye could see. It's, man, it was such a crazy time, but such a good time, I think, because we, uh, as a community, were able to see just people dive in like the the mm. flood army was just people coming from everywhere not just brisbane gold sunshine coast out to toowoomba mm -hmm. uh and of course people flew in from interstate to help as well yeah and the bussing people yeah. in and like there's things like uh, the university of queensland as well 
it's a big ivory tower institution yeah. that has insurance, but they have fields. They've got like five AFL pitches that were just a meter of silt on top mm. of it. Like it, the fact that that university was able to run is because thousands flocked and just shoveled and just shoveled and shoveled and shoveled just to get everything running. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, and and look, we're better for it. And and after that one in a hundred year flood that happened. 28 years after the first 100, 100 year flood we had another one mm. that wasn't quite as bad but yeah who, who trusts the weather bureau anymore who trusts the government oh no I trust I trust the weather bureau maybe not so much the government because I have a sneaking suspicion this is going to start happening more and more often mm. um, and maybe it's not the noise from wind turbines causing the flooding just just quietly maybe Maybe these once-in-a-century events that are now happening every 20 and then every, like, six years uh, might, might be some kind of global trajectory of warmth. You know, not going to be too, like, out there. I'm just going to say maybe maybe get used to it. <laughs> or as a means of failed population control. Because yeah. not enough people perished. Well, no, it's all the... Um, uh, the double-income professional people who have those million-dollar, like, Queenslanders in Graceville. Mm. That's actually the population control. Like, Logan's fine. Logan's not going <laughs> underwater. What we're actually doing, it's population control, but we're actually taking out the people who are proponents of eugenics. The top end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're taking out the top end because, why not? Brisbane. Got too fancy too quick. God bless us all. What was school like for you, Simon? Um, School was weird. Because I moved around a bit yeah. uh, as a kid, because I grew up in the UK and my dad worked in the railways. And I think the longest, the, where I currently live is the longest I've ever lived in one house. Yeah. Um, even at school, I, I stayed in the same high school um, throughout, but I must have moved house 12 times in 12 years, sometimes wow. from like different ends of the UK. So I was born in Cambridge mm. and then lived in Manchester and went to school there. So my accent used to be skill and book and path and things like that northern accent then went down to Hertfordshire so kind of more like Jane Austen's England yes. which then blended the accent a bit because have a northern accent in a posh area <laughs> the kids still beat the shit out of you <laughs> if, even if you've got the kind of accent where if one of them went north they'd be double beating the crap out of so you know that, that gets the accent going and then I hit that kind of age where it melded a bit and then I came out here and um, uh, moved when we came out to uh, Robertson of all places. So, mm. like, my perception of Brisbane as a, like, an 11-year-old, 10-year-old uh, living in Robertson and Sunnybank, I, I didn't see a white person until, like, yeah. year, year six, year seven. Then we went out to Wynnum West. Or wow. Wynnum, and went to a really old timber school. And only saw white people. Uh, no, it was about 50-50, Wynnum. Okay. Wynnum, this is Wynnum in the 90s, oh, though. True, Wynnum yes. in the 90s is a bit different to Wynnum now, because Wynnum now is livable, apparently. Uh, but Wynnum then, um, and I think there was a lot of kids from uh, Tonga and Fiji staying oh, with family yeah. learning, yep. because, um, and I think they still have this, and I think that's even bloody, the bloody premise of... Um, Chris Lilly's abomination, uh, Jonah, Jonah from Tonga, Tonga, is that there is that visa for, hey, if you have family here, you can come stay with them and go to an actual school yes. if you like. Um, and most of the parents of Wynnum, um, the Smith's Chips families up the road, uh, okay. uh, uh, factories up the road. Yes. So a lot of people's parents uh, worked at the Smith's Chips Work family. Work process and stuff. Yeah. Uh, my dad was like a senior executive at the the railway, so like it was a bit it was a bit different. And mm. we kind of lived on a house, and it was on three and a half acres in the middle of Wynnum. And you go, how yeah, does that wow. work? 
Well, what happens is Tingalpa Creek actually ran through the middle of the property, so the house covered every square meter that wasn't floodplains. <laughs> um, so we actually had two and a half acres on the other side that we just used for um, what's the word? Uh, adjustment. Yep. We we just had horses on it, and my tuck shop money. Uh, was me shoveling crap on the weekends and after school I just shoveling bags of manure and yep. then selling it at the side of the road with an honesty tin. That's Good where work. my that's where my tuck shop money uh, came from. Um, and then at that point, my mum got ill for the first time in like '97, mm. um, like properly ill. Uh, giant cancer just appeared oh. uh, in a leg, size of a football. It just kind Gosh. of it'd probably been there for a while. And it just popped Revealed up. But maybe itself. maybe it was also a secondary cancer from a first one. Yeah. And then uh, at that point, my parents go, and my grandparents uh, paid for this because um, they set up the day I was born. Uh, like it's a savings account, but it was a special kind of savings account where it was like an investment fund that was tax-free because the proceeds could only go towards paying the cost of education. Yes. So there was enough money in that to pay for all of private school and uniforms for me here because the Australian dollar at the time, crappy. Yeah. Uh, so, and actually it overperformed. It was like the best performing investment fund in all of history of any stock ever. And they just put it in that. And uh, it actually paid for my uh, degree as well. It wow. actually had enough. It was meant to only pay for like half of private school. And it paid for my degree as well, so I didn't have a hex debt when I finished uni, which is apparently a thing people well, worry about. Yeah, well, yeah, it's medium. It is a little bit lighty da. My dad dropped out of school at fourteen, so I always like I hold on to that story yeah. to try and not be too lighty da. So I went to like a private high school. I did really well, um, mm. but halfway through that, uh, my mum uh, she was told she'd never walk again uh, after the first cancer. Wow. And then had a few years, and then she started having back pain, and we thought it was a musculoskeletal thing. No, it was the cancer back, Ugh. and it was all the way through. It was in the brain, it was in the spine, everywhere. it was everywhere. So most of my end of high school uh, is my mum in a wheelchair, um, and she'd only recently learned to drive. She like learned to drive at 38 uh, mm-hmm. because we'd moved to Australia, because in the UK she just hadn't had to. We also found out all these family secrets. Like There's things that you maybe don't have conversations with your kids about, mm. but when you're about to die, you rush everything through everything out. you can. Like I didn't know until I was like 15 that my mum had been married before she met my dad, for example. Wow. Like There's, there's things like that, and yeah. she'd... Um, she had, like, I may feel like a bit of a failure sometimes, but she, she is the king <laughs> of dropping out. Like, having a father who used to run the banks for Malawi, for example, and having family that owns land in Malawi. You can't get to that thing anymore. Like, I could go and reclaim those farms, but A, white racists, and uh, I would get shot. Um, but So there's things, on her side of the family, there are things like that. Um uh, and she like her her first wedding was weird, and instead of like wedding presents, they wanted people to chip into a, having a demountable put into the woods, and they'd live in the woods. Now the reason this may seem like I'm getting off track. No, the reason yeah. it's weird that my mum didn't drive is her first husband was a driving instructor as well. Like that's just one of those things. Yep. But uh, so things like that came out, and so I did okay in school, and I did like days of excellence and then things like that, and yep. I I got a good grade. Um, but my mum passed away in year twelve. Oh, uh, and there's a huge period of time actually where we, um, uh, she'd, the kind of the insurance had stopped paying for uh, hospitals and things, and we wanted to have a home, so we had to have full time nurses yeah. in the house. 
uh, my dad's plan was actually to retire at like 50, 55. He's still working, so that plan didn't yeah. quite work. All of the money went into getting this big house and selling everything. So it had enough space for the wheelchair, but then the cancer spread more. We had to have the hospital bed in the house, and then she passes yeah. away. But so I managed to... Uh, I don't do this for sympathy. The, the main reason this is actually sad is now that I have children, I would have loved my mum to kind of see my children yeah. and also occasionally babysit. Like, you know, <laughs> yes. if there are listeners out there who babysit, <laughs> uh, at Simon Band. Um, uh, you know, people, TV talk too. Like if, you ha- if you have more than 2,000 followers, you must be cool and, uh, yeah, that, that must Not be Not a legit. stalker. Not a stalker. Um, uh, yeah, so then she passed away um, during my final year at school and so I had a younger sister. So mm. I am in this weird position where I started uni. I was actually a functional adult. Mm. Like, I could actually pay a bill I'd done my own first tax return. Uh, I could cook a meal. I could sew. I yeah. could do this. And um, I also, there was this expectation, though, because I'd done well at school and I went to a school. And I'll tell you more about this school, although I don't know how long this podcast is going to go uh, because I can fill a show with talking about me. Settle in, people. Um, uh, is that So I got an OP3, yep. which is okay. That means you're in the first kind of top percentages thing but because my mum died in exams I got special consideration so I was at this point showing up to school hungover or still drunk uh, not putting in any effort still got a three but they shave two points off if something big like your parent dying of cancer for seven years occurs in your final exam so I had a technical one for the first 12 months out of school um, so I could have been a doctor, could have done these things. Don't do coulda, because that, yeah, that's yeah. a long night staring into the dark. Oh, I do. What could have been. Yes, I hear that. Um, so that went okay. And then uh, my sister was still at school, and I was, like, driving her to school. We moved into the city. I started, uh, I got into the Dean's Extension Chemical Engineering Program at UQ. Sure. Turns out I hated it. <laughs> and uh, ah. turns out that maybe there's something wrong with my brain. Like, I was getting perfect marks, except in abstract mathematics. I can't do abstract mathematics and I had that problem in school yeah. and uh, I couldn't do math C maths B uh, sciences computing did mm-hmm. all those perfectly and when you look at my career you're like how does this person only have a science and maths background I don't know that's just where I've come from yeah. um, but I hated it absolutely hated it um, and I also wanted to meet chicks because mm-hmm. I hadn't, you know, done the thing yeah, with yeah. the, you know, ladies with the ladies. Uh, and there was like five women in engineering, and each one had like a queue, basically, of yeah. other engineers. Like it was really, it was a really weird situation. And I went, you know what? And uh, it's something that I connected with my father with. Mm-hmm. Um, one Christmas, I think the first Christmas after my mother died, uh, we went to the movies. Because James yeah. Street was actually open on Christmas Day, and we saw four movies. Wow! Yeah, it was amazing. Don't don't feel sorry for me. No, no, you no, guys that's... should. You guys had a crappy Christmas compared to me. <laughs> and I think there's actually a period of time between like 2000 and 2010 where I saw every single movie that came out uh, in like any cinema anywhere in Queensland. I saw them all. I was at all the festivals, and it was something I'd really connected with my dad over. Mm. And I went, I'll get a film degree. I got a film degree at UQ, though, which is an entirely <laughs> academic degree. And to this day, at age 30, I still have never seen a film camera. So maybe... And nor should you need to, because you studied at UQ. Yeah, because I studied at UQ. So I actually have uh, a group of a university degree in being a film reviewer, basically. That is the career path. 
Uh, so yeah, that's my that's my thing. Where were we? I probably got distracted. I was going to bring you back a side point. Oh, yeah, school. school. So then school has ghosts as well, doesn't it? Like Always. you know, and it's not just memories and people you don't connect with. Although I've got one really good mate who, to this day, best friend. Yep. He's my oldest friend because he's one of the first friends I made and mm. I've stuck with for well since '98. So. What's that? Eighteen years now. Yeah. Uh, but I'm actually his newest friend because uh, oh, he uh, was born. He was actually delivered in the bed that was his mother's when she was a teenager in like the same house. Like he's only moved recently. Wow. Like so he had like he's had friends since forever and what have you. But he's he's a good mate. So that's one of the positive things. I also went to a school that was a private, non-denominational academic school. Yep. And it had a headmaster who actually used to be, like, the deputy head of, like, Scots College or something, like, one of the prestigious schools. And he went, I'm going to set up this independent school in the middle of the Australian Bayside suburbs. And it was a great school. And, like, I think 70% of the students got an OP of five or better. Like, it was just this great academic school. I probably think maybe there was a bit of gaming the numbers a bit. And, you know, you don't accept people who aren't going to do all well. Although there were a couple of 25s uh, who maybe... Slip through the cracks. Maybe, maybe TAFE. We're good at football. Yeah, it was a weird thing because it was out at Cleveland and Cleveland High at the time, which a regurgitator uh, oh, yes. started at, uh, was a little bit of a weird school. And there was also a big Sikh community out that way. So mm. they, you know, turbaned, yeah. chose Ormiston College, for example, which is what makes what happens. Oh, crap. Let's edit out the name of my school just, sure. just in case. No, it's... Stuff it, leave it, because this is in the newspapers, so this is actually true. Okay. Stuff it. Let's let's not care about this the lawsuits. Where it's at. And so I'd had I'd had problems at school and with with one teacher, but that's neither here nor there. Let's not do that one. That's going to be the lawsuit. Mm. Um, but they changed the school about six nine months after I left. Yeah. Uh, David Hoskins was his name. Uh, stepped down, and they got some guy in from one of these kind of private schools from a kind of area that you live actually, where it's kind of one of these you know, outer areas, and yeah. they have these more conservative schools. He comes in and goes, oh, well, we're no longer a non-denominational academic school. We're a non-denominational Christian school. And right. it's like, hang on, one of these things is not like the other. Like, that is like that is the definition of Fourth oxymoron, yeah. where it's just like non-denominational Christian school. Like, that, that's not a thing. Um even when it was like a academic school, I think there was still the Lord's Prayer and stuff because you have to do that. If you're going to wear a blazer and a like a felt dress hat to school every day, yes. you have to say the Lord's Prayer. Like I think that is actually one of their like they don't get education funding if they don't. Like Independent it's schooling at its finest. What is it otherwise? But, is a government school. So there'd been Sikhs all the way through the school, mm. a lot of Sikhs, because, you know, it was a nearby, and it was a really cheap private school. Like, it is the cheapest private school, or it was. Like, its term fees weren't much different to, like, Reggio on a car. Like, it wasn't It wasn't that much. Um, and it was set up by, like, a parent group, kind of, in, in the late 80s. Yep. But they decided, no, the turban is no longer uniform. Wow. Shit hits the fan. Times of London, New York Times, Times of India, yeah. like all over the world. Everywhere there's big Sikh communities. Yep. And it just became this big thing. And it was one of the earlier ones of these kind of Christianized private schools going, nah, turban's not uniform. What if it's made out of the same fabric as the school? No, 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 non-turban uniform. This became a thing. I believe the kid involved in this case got a free education at that school after all of the crap hit the fan. Gosh. But then what happened was I was at a point in my studies and career where my, I had good grades. That's yes. why I mentioned this. This is a very wibbly-wobbly story. 
I was applying for stuff, and because I got an OP3 and I went to a verily well-respected school, I still had my school on my resume, and I shit you not, in mm. two different situations, one of them a job interview and the other one a grant application for research, someone looks up from the application and goes, oh, you went to the racist school. Oh. So the actual value of going to a pre- wow. prestigious kind of uh, academic school that's trying to build a old boys network out the window like serious shit hitting fan like I'm, I'm sure it's good now and there's actually people who i went to school with who now teach there because yeah. some people never leave like they don't <laughs> no, they don't they ever don't. and actually one of the really high achievers in my year who's a, a lawyer who uh, i probably had a bit of a crush on in school because they um early yes. um yeah developed they developed early um uh i think it's like on the board of directors there now and things like there's people who really loved it and had yep. a really good time and i had lots of friends although i went and did different stuff like uh i went out into the city kind of drinking before i was 18 and moved i actually left the family home and stuff like that which they hadn't yep and so i kind of you know didn't get as much contact now that we've all like in mid 20s to 30s they've all caught up with my lifestyle like that was there <laughs> they eventually got there they just didn't launch as early as i did but yeah it's weird that having so i have all these skills and like i can i can quote all these novels my science and technology background is great because of this school but it's now too long to say oh where did you go to school like it doesn't apply anymore yeah. now that i'm a grown-up but there was a period where it just didn't work for you and I think there's probably private schools now where there's people uh, applying for jobs and the, the the you know the interview is there and they look up from the registration and it's like oh, I see you went to this prestigious boys school were you you know molested oh. like I'm sure there's going to be things where you think you're going to do the good thing and your parents kind of have put money into this or yes. your grandparents have and think this is going to pay off really well and then something happens and the context changes. Mm-hmm. Like, something always comes out everywhere. It's like, you know, everybody used to love watching Hey Dad, and I've not seen that on telly for a little while now. No. And it's not that the show, the text itself changed, the context retroactively changed, yeah. and it became a horror story rather yeah. than a comedy. Very much so. Yeah. Have you ever had that, Malk? A, a comedy become a horror story. Yeah, or, you know, you, you like have an achievement, but then it like, you know, you get a degree from a training organization and you're so proud. And then two years later, it turns out it was just like a diploma mill. Like, I don't know. It's mm. just this has happened to me a couple of times. So I feel I feel unlucky at this point. I, I will absolutely offer I've made some bad decisions in my life. Yes, uh, we all. But I think, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. everyone's been there. It's the thing that I, I hear out of your your story about schooling and about your family and, and those sorts mm-hmm. of things, uh, that there was you know, an amount of upheaval mm-hmm. in, in coming from England, but that you settled yeah, in pretty as a kid well. And did okay. And like it was Wynnum in the nineties. So kids could do whatever they wanted. Yeah. Ride your like, bike. I rode my bike to school. Now, if I lived there now, if it was the same age, I wouldn't be able to. Not because the world's changed. There's now, like, main roads all through there mm. and it's a commuter belt. Like, I almost got cleaned up on a crossing there recently as an adult. Like, a year six kid yeah. would not be able to do it. So it's not whether nanny state or fears of, like, Daniel Morecambe 2.0, stuff like that. Like, it is seriously... Just roads have gotten crazy in this in this town. And, uh, yeah, I don't think you could physically cross that many main roads anymore as a kid. Do you have... Um you mentioned before you've got kids. Yes, I've got a, a son and a daughter. Who uh, my daughter started school this year, so awesome. now now I have to figure out what to do with my life. <laughs> <laughs> they have to pretend to be an adult because there's the reporting into school of my daddy did this, or you know, there's the discussions yeah. around what does your mummy and daddy do, all those sorts of things. 
My daddy sits at home and watches television. Sure. Yeah. Uh, been there. Do Do you looking at your, um, you know, schooling career and those mm. sort of things? Do you have specific hopes for your kids around around their schooling life? Not necessarily. I just want them to be happy. Yeah. That's all I want. Um, also, it's a weird situation where you look at like I hate league tables and I hate ranking and I hate things like that. Yes. But public schools in Brisbane right now are just kicking the ass of all of the private schools. Like in the top 10 schools, mm. there's only three private schools and they're not in like the top ones. So I live in a posh area. I'm a poor person in a posh area, which means I get all of the benefits of my kids going to school for yes. free. But all of the people they're going with, their parents are lawyers and doctors and consular officials. Yeah. Like the number of uh, ambassadors cars that do drop-offs <laughs> at my school. It's good. But it's also bad because they drive like they have diplomatic immunity. So, yes. like, that swings and roundabouts. Yeah, they no, don't actually run... have diplomatic immunity, but they drive like they Yeah, do. they'll run over a kid yeah. and think they're okay. Yeah, they, they think they'll be fine. It's like um, it's like Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Which, one of those, Lethal Weapon 2? Yes, 2. 2? Because just, it's just been revoked. That's where he yeah. met. Yes, definitely. Because Lethal Weapon, we won't peel that apart. Again, context of that movie has changed retroactively. Yes, it's no longer South how... Africans, the big racist bad guys. No, it's Mel Gibson. Yeah. So actually, are the South Africans the heroes in that movie now? Could when you, you imagine look... re-editing it? Yeah. Which wouldn't be hard. Yeah. As this crazy... Because like, that's what he's become. There's bureaucrats trying to maintain a country during a time of political change, and this anti-Semite comes and attacks them. Gosh. And no matter how much private security and machine guns they get, this anti-Semite is just chasing after them, just this unstoppable machine. And he kills, uh, you know, the 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 diplomat in charge of the the yeah. consulate. Wow! And the, and but it's, it'd be like a proper horror movie because they try and clean. run away during the into the subway tunnels, yes. but he keeps on coming it's for them. The usual suspects. Yeah. Or that um, Mel Gibson is Kevin Bacon so uh, Hollow Man one where he turns yeah. invisible and they keep on setting fire to him, but he just doesn't stop. I, I don't get that movie. It's, you know, yeah, that's no, another neither one. did I. But then I didn't get Tremors, so... <laughs> what can you do? What challenges you, Simon? <sighs> Gosh. One thing that I always found challenging, and it took me years to actually mm. figure this out, and then like a switch went. Uh, empathy. Yeah. Empathy was a big thing. Um, where especially if you're told you're good and there's expectations and then you're working with someone who they might be a grump or they might be a bit shit or they might not be particularly good and then, you know, maybe they're a negative person or a bit of an office bully. You kind of go, oh yeah, they're just a piece of shit and you dismiss them. And when you think you work with idiots, that can be a real problem for you and for them and that's not a good thing. And maybe I didn't show empathy... And I think empathy is really important to be able to project onto other people the same difficulties of being a human being trying to get through the world that you have yourself. Mm. And um, I think having kids, actually, and I had kids relatively early, so, like, my son was born uh, when I was 21. I was turning 22. Like, mm. I you know, had them relatively early. Still have a degree, but, you know, that's that's just me bragging. Um, <laughs> and I think that was a big changing thing. And then I've had some life things over the years um, where, you know, uh, like having kids and having a wife and what have you, I 
hadn't before, like I'd had a family who loved me and things like that, I actually hadn't realized that things like love is infinite. Yeah. Like in love has infinite depth. And I maybe hadn't applied, and I think it's maybe in the last like four or so years, but I've now got empathy for other people that I actually recognize because, you know, everybody has their own internal struggles. Like I have my own anxieties and depressions yeah. and, uh, you know, visits to people with doctor in front of their name <laughs> to kind of get through that. Um and yeah, yeah, I think this is like the this has been the big thing that's been a change for me in the last five years, especially, yes. is just totally getting that other people are in the exact same boat, and you just can't kind of dismiss people, no matter how awful they are, that they actually still have that that kind of something very human about them yep. that you know is still struggling and hurting trying to get through. So I, th- I think I'm still working on it now. But yeah, empathy. It's a very big thing. It's actually become like a big part of my um, thoughts. Yeah. We exist in a society where empathy quite often is, is light on, both in value and in sheer existence. Yes. And I don't know if that always used to be the case. Um, that you know, I guess the... Well, what happened? Kind of working class communities got gutted where, you know, Mm. people used to, you know, uh, know everybody and have these big extended families and things like that. And that kind of has disappeared. We're a bit more isolated and off in bubbles. and, uh, uh, And one of my pet peeves, even though I have one, is cars. We now go from our private bubble at home into our private mobile bubble to go into our private bubble at work. Yeah. That we're kind of disconnected. And I think that is something that's a problem. Yeah. And and we see it in a broader societal sense, particularly at the moment in, in uh, our changing acceptance around things like asylum seekers and refugees. Oh, definitely. And also Indigenous Australians as yes. well, where... You know, there are people who have large extended families and people know each other and you have the, mm. the very stereotypical, oh, this is my cousin, but, you know, actual thing. Yep. And then somehow that's actually a much safer, more, I guess for people's mental health as well, because, you know, when you're a parent and you work and do all these other things and you, you disappear from things, it can be very isolating, the modern world. You can yes. be very lonely, even when surrounded by people. And then, like, how dare we go into communities and rip them apart or say, oh, you should be doing this and these people Mm. should be doing that, where there's actually groups we try and destroy and defund that are actually getting the really important mental health stuff right in some ways. Like, there's problems in every single strata of every society. Like, there's problems, but we somehow manage to attack the things that you shouldn't possibly be able to attack. And you're entirely right with asylum seekers is even if all of these parents were like Al-Qaeda sneaking into the country mm. with boats. But I give you a hint, there's easier ways to do it than, yep. than boats. Um, it's probably easier to charter a like helicopter than use a people <laughs> smuggler, like really. Like yeah, yeah. if you have military resources, like that, that's what you do. Buy a plane ticket. But it's the children as well. Mm. Like, And this is one of the things, and it's one of my big things, and it's not just children in detention is... It's the same, you know, when people say children don't choose to be racist. They're kind of, no baby is born racist. They're kind of taught Mm. it. No child chooses where they're born or in what situation they're born. A child is the most innocent, unmolded, just 
beautiful thing in the whole world. And, yeah. you know, I didn't get that as well until I had kids. But, like, kids are amazing. But a kid doesn't get all of these world and geopolitical things and ideas like that. Like, kids actually can get ideas of sharing better mm. than adults do. And all we're doing, even if we're punishing adults who should have made better life choices, whether it's welfare or refugees, yeah, the only people we're ultimately punishing is the one group that doesn't have a choice yeah. and doesn't have adult understanding and doesn't have a voice in any of this are these small children. And this is why things like um, recently, you know, reports, and it was big headline stuff, 300,000 New Start recipients removed from welfare payments because they weren't looking for jobs hard enough. I'll give you a hint, mate. Like, mm. especially in Brisbane 2016, like, you know, a bachelor's degree in a long work history does not help no. anymore. Like, you know, there's problems. But you're not, you're hurting people and you're saying, oh, maybe they'll be motivated to get a job. You're actually hurting children. And yeah. it's like... I know the state should. I know the state thinks, oh, you know, parents should be paying for the shoes and luxuries for children, and the parents should be responsible for the happiness of these children. But that's that's not right because children are the very bottom of the like the power structure, the very yeah. bottom of the pyramid. Like, there's no self actualization of a child, and mm. yeah, they're just so vulnerable, and there's horrible things that happen when we don't recognize that children are basically innocent and you know eventually they might turn into Joseph Fritzl or something <laughs> but that child wasn't Gosh. born Joseph Fritzl no. but they might have been born into a situation where they become a Joseph Fritzl or a or a Hitler or something like that but like you know not not every yeah. kid can do that and there's yeah it just absolutely destroys me um and uh, and maybe I get to brag is that, you know, I had a lot of empathy for children in detention before we had. Before it was yeah, cool. Before it was front page, yeah. shock photo. And I'm a bit on the fence on that because I totally see why. Um, and it supports my argument, kind of pro-refugee, so mm. I can't really criticize it. But I also do find it horrifying. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it's, it is a weird thing where any child should be protected because whoever a kid's parents are shouldn't have any reflection on how that child is treated and yeah. protected. And that happens so often. I also don't think the, you know, people, no matter how pretty terrible they are, should be treated like that either. But I think we are totally getting something wrong with how children are treated. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Man. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Well, I'm a mature age student or something. I actually don't know. I'm in a weird situation right now where I'm not entirely sure what to do with the rest of my life. Um, and I think we all get this regularly. And even people who are actually doing something with their life will, mm. when you're having a private conversation with them and you say, I don't actually know what I'm doing, without even thinking about it, guard comes down and most people actually go, I don't know what I'm doing with my life either. So I've not really ever kind of planned too much. Like whenever you have plans, it goes it goes sideways quickly. Yeah. And everything I've done have just kind of happened. So in the next 12 months, I don't know, work on my personal brand? I don't know. 
<laughs> but I think I made this. I actually made this joke last year when I was in a similar situation, where it's like, oh yeah, this year I'm going to build my personal brand. Just kidding, running naked down the street, naked, uh, just kicking over bins, <laughs> screaming. Like, I think that's going to be the personal brand. Like that's what people are going to remember. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. It'll what are you going to do in the next twelve? It'll months? probably make you a YouTube star, and you'll get a job out of that. Um, what am I going to do in the next twelve months, Simon? I am at a very distinct crossroads around that, uh, of which I can't speak a whole bunch about right now. But there is definitely yeah. more to come. Yeah, I'll um, I'll give you the name of my shrink. It's uh, he's a good guy. Yeah, hey, look, it, it would be well appreciated, Simon. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. For the just the start of the conversation, I'm sure we could record hours more. Yeah, this is just the tip of the iceberg of all of my neuroses. <laughs> Tell me about your mother. Oh man, oh, that's tasteless. Sorry. No, no, no. It's one of those things. You know, she was she had a temper. Oh man, we could go on about that for ages. <laughs> Please know the things you've said today are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you Thank very you. much for, for sharing all of those things. Very clearly you are a, a tweet person. Are there any other social accounts that you want to admit to, share? You know what I think the next hot thing's going to be? And it's not Peach, mm. because I loved Peach the second <laughs> it launched. And Peach was just me and the guy who used to be on box cutters, which is now getting on a few years, if you think. <laughs> uh, me and Josh Canal were, were the two peach users in Australia. Not just, just anyway, we just the two. And I thought that was great because it was just so much fun and stupid. Yeah. Nintendo's Mi Tomo. You know the Mi little figure of figures? Yeah. yeah. Mi Tomo is just the most insane... I'm, I'm going to say it's a social media platform, even though it's dressing up dollies in costumes. But instead of tweeting statuses of what you're doing, or linking to brands, or seeing what brands are doing, yeah. it just asks you questions, and then you answer those questions, and it shares your answers amongst the people who you're friends with, and you make silly photos with like stamps and things of your little digital person, and you find out so much about people, and even if you just take the piss about, you know... Like, it asks, what do you collect? And I responded, dust. Like, that's, you know, my thing. <laughs> Me, Tomo. Just this little world of cartoon figures. I'm so into it. I've answered hundreds of questions on it. Like, I've just become, like, a super user. I, I have this thing where it is impossible for, like, Facebook or a marketing company to actually advertise on this platform. Like, mm. it is entirely Nintendo advertising on their ecosystem. But it's actually pure from advertising. It's amazing. So, yeah, check out Tomo. You don't have to follow me. Just go use it, just as a recommendation. That that sounds like a... That's through the looking glass right there. Yeah. It asks you, what's your favourite kind of bread? Cooked. Just, yeah, just bread. I like all the bread. Yeah, I'm pretty down with carbs. This has been Humans of Twitter... And I can confirm that at Simon Band is indeed human.